Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of the Remote Real Estate Investor Podcast brought to you by Roofstock. My name is Emil Shore, and on today's episode, I'm joined by Tom Schneider and Michael Albaum. And what we're going to be talking about today is managing your property manager. So we're going to be talking about things like, do all of us use a property manager or do we self-manage any properties? What are some red flags to look out for when you're selecting a property manager? What should you be asking a property manager when you're interviewing them to make sure they're the right fit for you? We also talk about if we've ever fired a property manager, what does that process look like and how do you go about finding a new one in case it doesn't work out? We also talk about some of the fees and structures they have and what to be on the lookout for there. And we'll wrap this episode up with another segment of making moves. So I'm covering this one and we'll be talking about where I'm at on a current deal. So in this segment called toe dipping, we're going to talk about what does it mean to get started? And property management is always a big one. So Tom, where when you're buying a property in a in a new city, you're looking for a property manager, where do you even start? So where I'll start is I'll first Roofstock is a platform. It lists out preferred property managers that they have. It's just a list of vetted. So th- I think that's a great place to start where I'll build a list of potential property managers, ones that I want to interview. I'll also go search on Google of single family property manager or multifamily property manager, build that list, try to get, I don't know, maybe like five or 10. And then kind of based on looking at their website, like, oh, are they professional? Then I'll start the phone calls. And within Roofstock Academy, we have a really thorough interview sheet that I'll use. And within a spreadsheet, I have rows of these different property management companies and then columns kind of grading them on different criteria. So that's that's where I'll start. First, look at the Roofstock ones and then do a little research on my own of, are, are there any other property managers I should be considering? Ooh, and just to add one more thing, I'll talk to other investors who are in that area and get their feedback. And that's usually where I'll put the most weight of other investors of their experience. That's my toe dipping with selecting a property manager. I first start very similar to Tom and in Google searches, Yelp reviews, bigger pockets is a great forum inside the Roofstock Academy, inside of our Slack channels, chatting with other investors who have been in that area. I actually got burned in the past by listening to other investors, which I'm, I'm sure was a fluke, but went through the whole interview process and unfortunately was kind of forced to make a decision because I was closing on a property and I hadn't been able to secure management and there was just nobody good in the area. So that was kind of a bummer. But I think putting the most emphasis on reviews and on testimonial and just references and Google can be your best friend. That's where you know anybody who has any kind of business should have a Google presence. And if they don't, because they're just a real mom and pop type operation and they're not on Google or they're not online, well, that might be tough to, to work with as a distance investor. Where do you start dipping your toes, Emil? So yeah, usually I'll start with the Roofstock preferred partner. They're going to give you a lot of the answers you want to hear. They've, they've done interviews with investors a bunch of times. They know the answer you're looking for. So unfortunately, a lot of the time, it's just a matter of getting started, following your gut, and then testing them out, seeing how it works out. And if you need to make a change down the road, it's not as hard as you would think. 
to make a property management change. That's a great piece of advice that you're not signing a blood oath where you have to use them as your property manager for your rest of your life. It's There might be terms within the length of the contract, that's negotiable, but just the idea of, okay, I'm picking this property manager, it's not forever. With that said, now it's a huge return on investment to spend your time and making sure you're getting a good property manager, but don't let that be a barrier to entry or to run into paralysis by analysis of selecting a property manager. Yeah. One more kind of tip on on places to look is um, NARPM, which is the National Association of Property Managers. There's, I think, an R in there as well. So anyone who's licensed and registered there can be a great place to start. I'll throw in one more getting started toe dipping. I guess this is a little, this is like working your way into the ankle, into the calf of of getting further in, but using a, do you guys understand that reference as beyond toe? (laughs) Okay. It it, it all depends (laughs) on how tall you Uh, are. (laughs) So uh, is talking, getting a reference and actually talking to that reference. So within that property manager saying like, Hey, do you have any investors who use you? that are not related to you or have any kind of vested interest in responses. So do not sleep on the talking to a reference. That's a huge advantage totally. or a huge smart move to do. Absolutely. So guys, I'm, I'm actually curious, do you always use a property manager or have you ever self-managed? Tom, run with it. So I've only used third-party property management. I wouldn't be opposed to doing self-management, but I would obviously only do it in an area where I live also. And I think that I would be really picky about the property that I would be renting. So like if if I moved out of the house that I lived in now and I turned that into a rental, I'd probably self-manage that. That makes sense. But I would definitely wouldn't do it as a remote investor with any of my other ones. Just the time thing. No thanks. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm right there with you. I've never not used property managers. And I think the heavens that they exist they don't get enough credit. They're awesome people. They do a really hard job. I'd never plan on self-managing ever, ever. I, I'm way too much of a control freak. I feel like even if it, in the neighborhood I lived in, I drove by, I was like, what are you doing? Why aren't you mowing the lawn? You know, <laughs> so it's just not, it's just not in my personality. Healthy boundary for you. Uh, I'm with you. I only use property managers. My dad owns a couple properties here in Los Angeles and he manages them himself. And I see all the stuff he has to deal with. And I keep telling them, you should get a property manager, but hard to give up that 8 to 10% or whatever you're offering up your property manager. So he's done self-management. And from his example, I'm like, no way am I ever doing that. So we have some people, Chris Bennett, who's one of our account executives on the team. He's actually, he owns a couple properties. He's a remote real estate investor and he self-manages those. So it's not completely unheard of, but yeah, most people I talk to are leaning on that third-party property manager. You touched on it really nicely with talking about your dad now having to give up that 8 to 10%. If that's all you know, I mean, ignorance is bliss kind of a thing, right? So if you've always used property managers, you never notice that 8 to 10% going away because you never had it. Versus someone like your dad, he's used to paying himself that 8 to 10%. And now for him to go get a property manager, he has to give that up. Yeah, I, I totally get why he's opposed to it. It hurts a lot more. That's true. Depending on rent level, I mean, I mentioned this a little bit earlier. If I was to rent for whatever reason, move and rent my current house that I'm in right now, where the rent would be higher, that 8 to 10% is a significant amount of money. Yeah. And I think also at that higher rent point, the tenant theoretically would be a little bit more stable. So there would be theoretically maybe a little bit less overhead and it'd be a little bit easier to manage. So I think the only scenario where I could see myself self-managing is my current house that I live in right now, if that, for whatever reason, would turn into a rental. I think it'd be an interesting thing to experience as a property manager, as long as it, in knowing that 
oh, this sucks. I can just get a property <laughs> manager if I get tired of doing it. I got a question, kind of turned around a little bit. So I think we all manage multiple property managers. Do you notice pretty big swings in the quality of your property managers that you guys use? Like Tarzan size swings, <laughs> massive swings. <laughs> yeah, It's terrible how big of the swings there are. But that yeah. being said, I, I, anytime you're dealing with people, there's great ones and there's awful ones. Same thing with property managers. So just sorting through the crummy ones to find the really great ones is the work that has to get done, in my opinion. Even amongst the great ones, there are still tears, in my opinion. And I hope none of them are listening, but I'm not going to name names. So it's okay, even if they are. <laughs> Michael, what do you think some of the differences that make the great ones really great and the bad ones really bad? So I think the great ones, they're not defined by their job role. So I think so often people say, okay, these, mm. are, my, these are my roles and responsibilities. That's what I'm getting paid for. So that's what I'm going to do, no more, no less. And no one can fault them for that because that's what they're getting paid for. But in my opinion, the really great ones, the great property managers that I work with go above and beyond constantly. So I have one property manager who's a former general contractor. So he'll give me assessments and tell me what's wrong with the property. And then he says, is it okay if I do it? Because I'm the cheapest labor around. I said, yeah, totally. Because he knows Mm -hmm. the property intimately anyhow. You know, I have another property manager that goes and be above and beyond with regards to project management and has really stepped up with taking on some, some leadership roles and helping me get some things done where my time is just too thin versus other property managers have asked that I pay for those types of services. So I think that's really what separates the good and the great for me. What about you, Tom? I mean, you've, I'm sure, worked with some, some decent ones and some great ones. I'll hit that in a minute, but I want to spin this over to Emil. So tell me about your experience with, with good and bad property managers, or have they been pretty consistently yeah, good? Yeah, I think what Michael touched on, absolutely agree with. I think you'll find who just communicates proactively versus always reactively. It's mm. hard to give you an exact example. I got an example for you. I got an example. So this is a, a property management that I use pretty heavily in Atlanta. And I think we're, we're fine mentioning that they're a great property manager. I like Excalibur as a company out of Atlanta, do a bunch of work with them. And when I get an email from them, they'll talk, describe the issue, explain what it is, and give a recommendation. And I love that. I mean, it makes my overhead just super light where if it's a vacant property and they have a tenant who applied, they'll make a recommendation like, ah, we think this is a good fit or eh, we think there might be a better one. Or if there is a maintenance issue, they'll say, oh, we recommend blah, blah, blah. We got multiple bids. I think that kind of level of proactiveness. Yes, exactly. You saw some thought went into it. We got one bid, it was too high. So we went with someone else and saved you a couple hundred bucks. Here it is. That type of proactiveness, it's rare. It's hard to find. It's one of those things, you know, people ask you, okay, what are the interview questions for selecting a property manager? And you can ask all those. And a lot of times they will give you the exact answer you want to hear. So unfortunately, my experience only in you know a couple of years I've been investing, a lot of the time is trial by fire. So you have to go with your gut and then it's a matter of seeing, do they perform to the level they say they do? And if not, you have to just go out and find another property manager. I think you nailed it talking about going with your gut. In real estate, we talk so much about not getting letting emotion get involved and letting the numbers do the talking. But I do think when it comes to relationships and people, your gut speaks volumes. And so if someone rubs you the wrong way, or you just don't get a good vibe from someone, I think that's totally cause for caution, cause for pause and could be some red flags. What about, you know, a lot of people ask about what are the typical fees associated with property management? So I think all of us have multiple property managers. What do you guys see as the average property management fee each month that they're taking out of rent? Tom? I think pretty common to see as low, not that common, as low as 6%, but I think between 8% and 10%. 
the other fees that relate to the leasing fee or a lease renewal fee, those are all pretty standard in that it's either the first month's rent for a leasing fee or a half a month's rent. A pro tip I recommend is getting into that property management agreement and really combing through it on what their fees are. One of the most frustrating situations I've dealt with with the property manager as it relates to fees is I bought a property and sold it after two years or so. I had some good appreciation. I 1031'd it. And when I sold it, there was a little caveat in the property manager contract that I had with them that I had to keep it for three years. Otherwise, I was paying them a fee. And oh my gosh, I still get hot blooded just thinking about it. Basically, just taking money. They didn't do anything. And I, for the next investor that was buying it, I tried to be like, hey, you should use this property management company. They chose not to because they had a friend who was a property manager. But them charging me that extra money that I sold it, I don't know. If I had read that beforehand, I probably wouldn't have picked that company. Wow. Yeah, yeah it's, it's enslaving you to that property. I've never heard of that either. It kills the, the liquidity. Yeah, that's crazy. Yeah, let's chime in on that as well. Yep. I'm most of the properties. I have our 8%. I've had some go as high as 10%. Some markets, property managers know what the other property managers are charging. So sometimes you'll see those slight fluctuations. Um, but now I think across the board, I'm, I'm 8% management fee. And then like you said, you'll, you'll see pretty standard when you have a, a new tenant, usually half of the first month's rent, I think is pretty standard. You guys see that as well? Yeah, it's pretty standard. I mean, I see it also up to a full month's rent in a lot of markets too. Okay. It varies quite a bit, but I know I've talked with a lot of students in the academy about some of my favorite people to work with are agents that are also property managers. And so for those folks that I've worked with, the property management fees are super reasonable. So I've got one guy that I work with. He sold me the property and now he manages the property. He charges a flat 10%. And because I purchased the property through him, there is no tenant placement fee and there is no lease renewal fee, which is amazing. And then another uh, property manager agent I worked with, she sold me the property. She charges a flat 10%. She charges 100 bucks for a tenant placement and nothing for a tenant renewal, a lease renewal. Uh, so that's like the cream of the crop. So I always harp on if you can find those people and they're responsive, use them because they can be some of your, your biggest assets and greatest allies. At what point will you go in, maybe ask for a discount, maybe lowering it from 10 to nine or eight to seven. Do you have like a, a rule or a system you follow? Always ask. Yeah. Anything more than one I'm asking. <laughs> there's, there's no harm in asking. Yeah. And you know, the worst they can <laughs> say is no. And you can also ask, okay, well, if not two, then how many? And I think that there's a lot of things in these management agreements are oftentimes negotiable and customizable to a degree. If you just ask, I think one thing that I've, I know I've asked for in, in pretty much all my property management agreements is a tenant placement insurance so that if a property manager places a tenant that leaves inside of their either six months or 12 months, they break their lease, they're going to place a new tenant for free. And that's not always in their management agreement, but that's kind of a freebie. I almost think it should be because if they're going to place the tenant, they should stand behind that tenant. So it just was you know, kind of a pro tip, something to ask for as part of your, your management agreements. Do you guys have any property manager pet peeves? PMPP? <laughs> <laughs> I like that. PMPPs. I got one. I'll start it off. Sometimes I ask questions that I just like want to give the answer to. Yes. <laughs> Self-serving um, questions. <laughs> exactly. So I, this is so, so a lot of the people that I coach within real estate investing and also just personally... Something that can get frustrating is the response time sometimes with property managers is not awesome, where you could be used to a service level agreement of you're responding in like an hour or two hours. But 
with some of the property managers, there can be a little bit of delay, even a day or two. And that can be absolutely infuriating if you're wanting and used to like really quick response times. But, you know, something about a lot of the, the property management companies is that is not uncommon to have like a little bit of a delay. So while like it's not a great answer, just sometimes in, in dealing with these third-party property managers, you should set the expectation of like when they should respond to you. But sometimes a day or two days is what just that is done. Now, that's a downside of using third-party property management. But that's, a, I think, probably the number one pet peeve that I see with people who are investing, not getting that immediate response back from the property manager. Yeah, I think it is so often a function of where the investor is from and kind of what business, ta- yep. not tactics, but how they're used to responding. So I know, like for instance, people in New York are typically always up, always doing something. So their expectations of an acceptable response time could be very different than someone in Mississippi or you know somewhere else in the South or the Midwest. So I think you nailed it, setting the expectation, or at least I like having the conversation and asking the question of the property manager, hey, if I send you an email, what's the expected time response from you or your staff? And then kind of let them give it to you. My biggest pet peeve is when it's always around communication. You're right. It's always with property managers. I think the biggest sticking point is communication. It always rubs me the wrong way when someone says, I'm going to follow up with you tomorrow or the next day. And then you let a day or two after that pass and you still don't get a response. That's when I really have a tough time. I'm like, okay, you told me you'd follow up with me by this time. I'm giving you an extra 24 to 48 hours because I understand things pop up. And I still don't get a response, then it's like, okay, this is not good. That's such a good PMPP. <laughs> What's your PMPP, Michael? My biggest PMPP is, again, we kind of all been touching on it as communication. If I send an email and I get a response, that's not, it technically answers the question, but doesn't really give me any additional information. If I have to tease the information out of them or just ask them super bluntly, hey, how is this going? Or what is going on? Again, kind of getting back to what you were talking yeah. about, Tom, is that expectations of, okay, I say big, you know, they think huge, I'm thinking not so big. So just I, sometimes I get emails, I'm like, did you even think? Was there any thought process that went into this response or, or no? And so just getting people to treat your property as if it's their own and communicate with that level of communication. Yeah. Lacking that is my biggest PMPP. That's a, that's a great PMPP. I got one more I'm going to slip in there is so oftentimes in the property manager role, there's pretty high turnover. So in speaking to a property manager about your property one day, they may not be the person that you're talking about talking with about the property tomorrow. So it can be frustrating, you know, if you kind of build up a rapport and trust with a property manager, and then all of a sudden they're not at the company. And that's just kind of part of business. Like people change jobs, but I'd say with within property manager, it's a little bit higher turnover in those roles. So yeah, I mean, that could be just kind of annoying. and But that's just part of the gig in, in that kind of a role that there could be a little bit of a higher turnover within the property manager world. I don't know if you guys have seen the yeah, same thing. Totally. I haven't experienced it that much, thankfully, but I could totally appreciate how it would be super frustrating. I've had the same experience, but totally understand that's part of the business. Now I have a, I have a very serious question for you guys. Are you down with PMPP? Yeah, you know me. PMPP, that ain't for me. No way, Siri. (laughs) All right, the last segment for this episode we're going to cover is called Making Moves. If you listen to a couple of our past episodes, you'll know this segment. We're basically checking in with one of the hosts 
to see where they're at with their real estate investing. So for me, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do the making moves section on this episode. Right now, I'm in the process of actually trying to raise some money from friends and family to do my next deal. So typically in the past, I have always just relied on my own funds and I've bought a more traditional turnkey home where I'm putting 20 to 25% down and just save up for the next property and do that. So this time I'm trying to actually buy a property all cash that property needs some work, needs some renovation, buying cash so I can get a little bit of a discount, get some built-in equity. So do the rehab myself and then refinance down the road, pull the cash out and use that to to fund my next deal, which if you've heard of the BRRRR method, B-R-R-R-R, I think it's four R's, buy, renovate, rehab, refinance, repeat. I had heard about it when I first started, but it wasn't something I was really comfortable doing. I really wanted to get my feet wet with with something a little easier. So I went with more turnkey properties just to get a basic understanding of real estate investing and working with property managers and everything. Now that I've been doing that for a couple of years, I feel pretty comfortable. I want to push myself and challenge myself. So I'm going to be taking on this new strategy. But right now, I don't actually have the funds available myself to put an all cash offer. So I don't want to wait. I'm all about moving fast. So I'm actually trying to raise money between friends and family. So that is where I'm at with um, my current acquisition process. Ooh, doing a little syndication deal, huh? <laughs> well, it's, so this one's a little bit different in that I am. It's going to be probably a seven to nine month loan, and I'd be paying them back with a, a set interest amount, just like as a lump sum. Is how I'm trying to structure uh, okay. it. Okay. Yeah, I've explored things like you know hard money and other ways of raising funds, but you know, that comes with origination. You're paying interest the entire time. So I figured, you know what, let me try friends and family first, see if I can have any friends and family who are interested in this and go from there. And luckily I've, I've found some family members who are interested and they're going to be joining me as, I don't want to say the partners, but I guess lending to me. On yeah, this. they're your private lenders. So it's, it's been, int- yeah, exactly. And so it's been interesting because you get started and you're like, all right, I just have to, people just write me a check and that's it. I'll just pay them back at the end. But I consulted my CPA, made sure, hey, how do I do this legitimately where I'm doing this the right way? I don't want to flag anything or get audited during tax time or whatever. So that's been super helpful in terms of him telling me exactly how to do it. So that's good. That's awesome. Is it more complicated than you envisioned? Yeah. I mean, again, I figured maybe it could just be a certain gift amount or whatever. But again, because it's a loan, because I'm paying interest, it's a simple agreement that I will sign and family members will sign. And then it's a matter of, I believe they get a 1099 or a 1098 at the end of the year. So I'm just, I'm happy I included my my accountant now early in the process so he can just guide me to make sure we're doing this the right way. Yeah. And so you think that'll be a seven to nine month rehab? The, the rehab part, I only think will take a couple months, but so this is something interesting I found out. So the, the refinance on a conventional loan, I want to Right now, I want to max out as many conventional loans as I can. I think you get a, I think it's like 10. Is that right, Michael? Yeah. 10 conventional loans. You get the best terms on those. You get the 30-year fix. So I want to maximize those. And so I called a bunch of banks, called local banks, called national banks. And everyone has, I guess, Fannie, Freddie, they have the same regulation in that you cannot refinance a property at a new value without waiting for a six-month seasoning mm. period. So if you try to do before six months, what they use is the purchase price as the, the value. And so 
what I'm trying to do here is rehab it to force appreciation. So if I go refinance it early, I'm not going to get the money out that I'm looking to get. So that was something, you know, you, you go down the rabbit hole and you just start learning all these interesting things about how it works. Cause you, you know, you read about it online. It's like, oh, I can just go refinance in two or three months and it's super easy. And if you're looking for a certain type of loan, it's not, that wasn't the case for me, at least from calling, you know, a couple of different lenders. Yeah, that's a super great point. That's a super great point, especially for people who are using hard money or a more expensive money or even friends, family, other investors. If you promise someone that you're going to return the money to them in X amount of time, but then turns out, oops, you got to be in this thing for at least six months, that could be a real problem. Exactly. Yeah. At first I was thinking, oh, I can pay them back in four to six. But after I called a bunch of banks, which I'm glad I did this up front, get all your ducks in a row before you do something like take, especially with family, right? It's, it's not an easy ask to go to your family and say, hey, I'm, I'm looking to do something. Here's what I can offer you if you're interested. Most people don't love the idea of mixing friends and family with business. And usually I'm, right. I'm in the same boat, but I'm confident I can make it work for everybody. And I'm also excited to like provide my family with a return, right? Like I'm pretty confident we can we can do this and do it well. And it's, it's a win-win for everybody. Absolutely. So have you already found a, a team of contractors that you're going to be working with or you, have you, is that going to come later? That's the next step for me. Once I have fund secure, I have the market picked out. I know the type of property I'm looking for. So now after this, it's, it's a matter of finding the rest of the team. Awesome. Awesome. Just out of curiosity, what kind of property are you looking for? It'll probably be all the properties I've bought till now. It's been single family. So I'm, I don't want to go crazy and get something too big, too fast. So probably like next move will be likely a duplex. Start getting into small multifamily. Awesome. Join the dark side. In Roofstock Academy, it's fun because a, a lot of us are just learning from each other. This was actually from a conversation you and I had. I, I wanted to do this next deal and you kind of just seeding some ideas with me and sending me down the rabbit hole. So thank you, man. Oh, you're welcome. What no one can see is that I'm totally blushing right now. That's awesome. <laughs> I'm, glad to, I'm glad to hear that that meant something to you and you're doing something with it. That's really exciting. Thanks, man. All right, guys, I think this is probably a good spot for us to wrap this episode up, but wanted to ask you, our dear listener, for a quick favor before you leave. So because this is a brand new podcast, we're really trying to spread the word, really trying to get as many people listening in as possible. So if you leave us a review or tell your friends on social, Twitter, LinkedIn, Facebook, whatever, just mention us, tell them you love the show, tell them what you like about it, leave us a review. If you take a screenshot and email it over to me, I'm going to hook you guys up with a free 15-minute coaching call with one of our Roofstock Academy coaches. So you'll be able to talk to them about whatever you want, whatever real estate investing questions you have, we'll get those answered. So all you have to do, again, leave us a review or give us a shout out on social. Tell your friends to listen to the Remote Real Estate Investor by Roofstock. Take a screenshot and email it to me. My email is eshour, E-S-H-O-U-R, at roofstock.com. And I'll make sure we get you hooked up with that free coaching call. All right, thanks for listening. We'll catch you in the next one. Peace.